Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Secret Origins of Mint Condition. This is the Star Trek Reaction Show Edition, and I'm on the bridge with uh, Josh. Hello. And John. Greetings. And Joe. Hi, folks. And we are talking about Strange New Worlds, Episode 4 and 5, Episode 4, Memento Memore, and Episode 5, Spock Amok. And... Um, you know, Joe, I'm going to show you I paid attention, hopefully in the sports editions of the show, and say that I, I don't think there is a Star Trek show or show in general that so far halfway through its run has has pitched a, a perfect game, seemingly. Ah, very good. <laughs> um, I, I feel like this, you know, compared to other Star Trek shows, usually the first, cup, first episode's great, but then the second and third tip down, and TV in general tends to go that way, but it seems like Strange New Worlds halfway through can do no wrong. So um, I'm going to throw it to, uh, to you, John, to start. What do you, what do you think about that? And what are your thoughts halfway through the run? Oh yeah. I mean, it's, I'm blown away the word halfway through the, it feels like we just started. Um, but I think, I think that's, I think that's a sign that I'm, I've been so caught up in this ride. Um, every episode has been uh, really strong uh, and also unique. Uh, it hasn't been following the same formula per episode in terms of uh, style or, or, or focus on character. Um, so whatever, whatever, uh, they're doing, whatever they're drinking, whatever they're smoking, keep on doing <laughs> because it's working. Um, I, I'm, I'm really, really impressed uh, with that. Uh, I, I think it, I think it really also what infuses the show is a sense that, uh, of love and care for it, but also genuine excitement. Uh, I can tell that from the cast. And I think the way that it's being written is this idea of like, look, we get to explore, like, Hey, strange new worlds. Like there's the tagline. Um, and we've gotten that out of every episode. There's been something a little new and different. Um, so yeah, perfect, perfect season so far in terms of that. Um, there hasn't been a weak point or a, Oh, I can't believe they did that, which definitely happens. Uh, I, m- I remember that in every other Star Trek show so far, it's been that sophomore slump uh, you get and uh, not so far with this. And I don't know if, if, uh, if you are watching other people or, 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 uh, real-time streaming with other people, but um, I'm getting just a sense of everybody's really enjoying it and mm. wants to, wants to do more. I think, I think the only, the only problem is that there are only 10 episodes. Yeah. 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 I, I, I think, yeah. I mean, I, I've seen nothing, at least for what I follow in social media or uh, YouTube videos and stuff, nothing but real love and appreciation for the show. So I, I think most people are in agreement, but um, uh, Josh, what are what are your thoughts about uh, how the show's going halfway through its run? Yeah, I mean, I agree uh, with what John said. I do think, and what you said, I think we are, uh, you know, five for five, which is, um, you know, refreshing, not just for Star Trek, but I think for TV in general, um, outside of a very tightly plotted serialized show i was glad to see i think i may have said on an earlier podcast that one of the things i was really hoping for was some variety in terms of the genre from episode to episode and i think i don't think you could um have a better example than these two episodes Mm. back to back i think uh, because that is one of the strengths of star trek i think is the elasticity of the concept you can tell all different kinds of stories. And um, so I've been really happy to see, to see that. And yeah, I agree. I think what separates this show from the other series and, you know, really not since the original series has Star Trek really captured the, the, the fun and the excitement of, 
of exploring the unknown. I mean, even next gen, which don't get me wrong, um, next gen is the show that I was raised on. So, so this isn't a slight at next gen in any sense. Uh, but even next gen had that um, uh, slightly more self-important sense of sense of itself, really. And I think that the original series, you know, really had this kind of manic, almost kind of glee and excitement because you, you know, you never knew what it was going to be from week to week. And you would have episodes like Balance of Terror, which is, you know, what what uh, Memento Mori made me mm-hmm. think of. And you had episodes like Trouble with Tribbles or uh, or Turnabout Intruder. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the, uh, the last episode. Yes, exactly. The last episode. The reason I bring up uh, Turnabout Intruder, uh, you know, it has nothing to do with quality. It's just because of the body Chance swapping. Lester. Yeah, Chance Lester. <laughs> uh, your world of Starship Captains doesn't admit women. This is a very strange line. I mean, even at the time, it was a strange line. Um, uh, so, you know, so yeah. So I think... Um, I think really, I think we may have discussed before, I think really the the secret sauce here, I think, is uh, returning to episodic storytelling and kind of returning to first principles in so many ways about uh, what Star Trek is. And I think the creators like have a very strong vision of what they want the show to be and they're able to execute on it, perhaps because of the growing, uh, the growing pains of uh, Discovery and to a lesser degree, Picard, Discovery uh, walked so strange new worlds could run. Yes, mm. I, I agree. I agree with that. I agree with that. And and uh, Joe, aside from like um, your overall thoughts halfway through, I also want to get your comments because we we you, we kind of left last episode off when we met with you saying, "I wonder what the comedy episode is going to be like." So, aside from your thoughts about the first half of the season, how was the comedy episode in your mind? Was it what you were expecting? It was not what I was expecting, which is good. I don't, you know, uh, that's that, and that's the whole thing with. What's going on here? The uh, the um, they they decided to go with uh, episodic storytelling, and that leans into what uh, Josh and, and John just spoke spoke to, and that it, it's something new every week, and you're on the edge of your seat. You know what you're going to get, and and so you go from this thrilling sci-fi action adventure, in Memento Mori, to you know this uh, character-driven comedy in Spockamuck. So it's like, okay, this is really cool. Just keep giving me more of this. And um, that's what I felt like back in 1970 when I caught the reruns on Channel 11 when I first got into Star Trek. I, I didn't know what to expect each week. And um, that was, um, it was great. Yeah, it's, uh, it surprised me. And they're doing, they're doing a hell of a job with that right now. Yes, no, I agree. I, I never know what we're going to get each week, even if they give you, even the preview doesn't quite tell you what you're going to get yeah. each week. But I would also say just a comment like on, on it is episodic television, but it's kind of like a little bit of a step up from episodic television because they do do a previously on yes. Strange New Worlds, which they never did a next gen to my recollection, unless it was a two parter and mm-hmm. they didn't do in the original series or DS or DS9. Did DS9, I think they maybe started. So it's, it's a little bit of episodic mixed with a little bit of, I guess, of keeping you, I guess, a little bit of character arc based storytelling. Right. Yeah. Oh, well, that's true. And also there's a slight nod I think at the beginning of Spock Amok where, um, you know, the episode happens because they're at a star base to repair from the damage that they sustained in the previous episode. Right. Um, you know, which oh, is that like slight bit of, of episode to episode continuity that you would never have in, you know, next gen or the original series uh, because the, um, the dictum about keeping the episodes standalone was so that 
they could be stripped in any order uh, for syndication. So, so I mean, mm-hmm. so any sort of episode to episode continuity was um, uh, verboten then, uh, you know, which I always found kind of strange because it's sort of like, you know, the programmer for a local network, it seems to me when you're rerunning a show, it's like, okay, it's, it's, it's Tuesday, you put on episode 78. It's Wednesday, you just grab the next one and put on episode 79, right? So, so I don't really know what the big deal was, uh, but that was always like, you know, sort of the mindset. Well, they had to be prepared, Josh, for those, you know, uh, uh, New Year's Day marathons and stuff down the road. Where they <laughs> oh, right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Those Channel 9 New Year's Day marathons, yes. Uh, the only other thing that I, uh, that, uh, that actually reminded me of was, again, in, um, in Star Trek Enterprise, in the second, I, th- I think in the second season, uh, there was a, uh, it was kind of a big deal because um, for the first time, something similar happened. There was an episode, Minefield, which was the first episode of Enterprise that uh, had the Romulans in it, and they sustained some damage in that episode. And then the following episode, Dead Stop, they uh, they had to find a facility to repair the damage uh, to the ship. And so so one episode led into the other. And I remember it was like a big deal at the time. It was like, oh, okay. It's like, you know, there's some some episode to episode continuity. So so that's what uh, that made me think of at the, at the top of Spock Amok. Well, just to reiterate, back in the day, and I always use Bonanza as the example. I mean, everything could happen. Or something could always, disasters would happen to the Ponderosa, to little Joe, to Ben, to Hoss, to even when Adam was there. And then the next episode, we'd like, it never happened. You know, the, the entire town comes down with the flu. There was one episode they did about the flu, and, they, and people are dying left and right. And the next episode, they're dancing, literally dancing in the streets on a Saturday night. So <laughs> it was never, uh, but, you know, uh, you never had any continuity, so to speak. So this is, uh, this is refreshing. You, you get something different every, every week, but you have that through line that pulls it all together. So it's, uh, I think showrunners are doing uh, a bang-up job. Really just the right like dosage. They they, they got just the right. So so if if you're watching it the way we are, you know, uh, week by week, first run, you're getting a sense that this is you are watching a continuous uh, journey. You know, the, the these are the journeys of the Starship Enterprise, voyages of the Starship Enterprise. You're seeing that happen unfold chronologically. Um, but there would be zero difficulty in popping back and choosing, I'm going to watch, you know, this episode or that episode. And 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 uh, I think y- you put it great, Josh, with the uh, the phrase a couple weeks ago, you get a full meal. Like that's, uh, that, that is the omnipresent thing. And and that's what makes it so nice watching it um, uh, socially again, or, or being able to talk about it fairly quickly again, is that you have a whole thing and you're not uh, just waiting for what comes next. Um, And uh, as you were saying, like each episode has its own flavor and style. We've got the comedy episode. We got the more intense episode. Uh, I was thinking this was the, uh, it's funny with a balance of terror. I, I can definitely see that. This to me was, it was uh, 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 one part uh, Wrath of Khan uh, with the uh, with the fight in the nebula scene uh, and one part Hunt for Red October. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Definitely, definitely yeah. how that feels because the stakes felt high. They, 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 they really, really did. Um, and they had to be really creative about it. They had to come up with all these solutions, and that was, that's that that's like, the best of uh, of a Starfleet crew. They're improvising uh, as they need to. They're they're encountering the totally unexpected. Uh, 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 you know, they 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 have a little bit of insight, and then and then there's the uh, the interpersonal, uh, not drama, but the interpersonal uh, tension 
as to what's really hap- you know what's really happening here when um Laan says you know wait wait a second this you know she she recognizes the pattern the hunting Italian is like this is the gorn this is holy like like this this is serious you don't understand what they're doing let me help inform that decision and the captain's instincts were were good but they needed to be informed by something else and there it was that initial sort of like questioning well hey i'm the captain i know what's going on but wait what are you telling me here and they synthesized it and worked as a brilliant crew and uh you know pulled out you know some really interesting solutions really cool maneuvers great ideas dramatic moments um uh and 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 one of the i, I thought i i i like that episode because you got to get to know the engineer more that was that was something oh yeah it was a great, great number episode. Forward to whatever episode they use um uh uh to focus on hemmer because i, th- I think we're gonna find out a lot of cool stuff about him but i loved i loved him and uhura and uhura's a great uh, story piece there for since she's a cadet is going from department to department. So she's not so she's not communications officer uh, in the Kirk era. She will do that, but she's also doing all this other stuff. So we get to see the enterprise through her eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, this department, that department, what it's like to do here. It's such a good story mechanism because now we're going to get to see parts of the ship we might never have otherwise seen um, or, or really had need to explore. It's because oh. She's training them and learning about them, and we get to go along for the ride now. Yeah, yeah that's Ahura is the POV character. She's the point of view character for the audience. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. great. And, and this is a submarine episode, right? Because the way Balance of Terror right. was a submarine episode, which is a classic TV trope. But you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. Just just put a different spin on it, and they sure as hell put a different spin on it. Yeah, I will say that um, this episode. I mean, I and I didn't see the Enterprise episode with him, but this episode made me like actually like the, the Gorn are a real scary species. Like aside from Lon's description that we've gotten of her so far, like the the combative threat they posed and the deceptiveness and the planning they had, they were like really threatening. I actually I was like looking at the Gorn like, wow, they are a real menace to the Federation at this time. Yeah. No, and I also love how we never see them. I think that adds yes. immeasurably uh, uh, to their menace and also. Uh, contributes uh, to that sense of uh, fear and desperation. And I think it was, um, you know, really kudos to the director and the production team uh, to not succumb uh, to the impulse to show them even at the very end. You know, I really loved that they um, they decided to tell the story in that way. And yeah. did, any, did any of you know that uh, apparently there is a deleted scene or there's meant to be a scene in uh, Star Trek Nemesis at the uh, sort of bachelor party or whatever it is for the wedding, uh, where I, th- I think what I read was it was one of Worf's best friends is supposed to be a Gorn. Really? Oh, like, really? Yeah. No so, so, but but it did not make the cut, and I don't believe it's on the DVD or Blu-ray deleted scenes. But it's referenced oh, as like this would have been the other actual appearance of the Gorn, which that sounds like that sounds like a scene that they probably cut before they shot it uh, to save money for the. Mm. Um, either the prosthetics or the CG that would have been required uh, because, you know, it seems like for like a one-off throwaway character, I don't know. Like I'm just thinking with my yeah. uh, production hat on uh, that that's like the first thing to go. It's like, uh, you really need this. I think it also <laughs> indicates like where they were, they were thinking, even though that's almost, well, oh, it is 20 years, 20 ago, years ago, 20 years um, ago, oh, more I, than 20. I, yeah. That yeah. Is not, no, it's not more. It's blow my mind every time I hear them. Um, is, 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 is that even the gore and the idea with what happens in the original series when we do see them is still that these enemies, um, still have the potential to become, if not 
allies or members of the Federation, they can at least become a, a neutral uh, a, a species that we can coexist with uh, in the galaxy, and w- which is the great message of Star Trek. So that's that's sort of baked in there for us, the fans who might, you know, if, if you know that random bit of trivia or the general trajectory of Star Trek is that we will have this terrifying enemy, but that doesn't mean hate them forever, which could very easily be a really compelling storyline for Lan down the road mm-hmm. in what happens if they do encounter a Gorn in a different circumstance um, where mm-hmm. it is not uh, entirely hostile or maybe they do have to work something out and how do you, and how do you, you know, work that out given your own history with, with, with such um, a species. That's just very Star Trek and I'm, I'm excited that they're still uh, still doing that. So, you know, that, that episode was, that episode might've been one of the strongest in terms of, uh, being compelling and intense. Um, uh, you know, that, that, that just really had it, had it all for me, uh, in terms of that. And I'll say go, going on to the, going, going on to, um, the next episode and was, it's not a mock time. It was a spot. Spock- mock. Spock- I love that. Yes. yes um, I started watching it and I wasn't in a great mood, whatever it was. I also had someone was not agreeing with me so from dinner. You know, I was just like, I'm not feeling great. And I watched the first five minutes. And I was like, I don't know about this episode. And I said, you know what? I'm going to stop. And I watched it the next night, loved the episode. And I realized it's so funny how, how our enjoyment of a show can also be so highly informed by, our state of mind or, you know, indigestion at the time. Um, and so I, you know, started from the beginning again and was watching. I'm like, oh, this is great. Like this is, I'm like, click, this is the light headed episode. Let me lighthearted episode. This is going to have, you know, some different elements to it. And to go from one to the other. Yeah. That's the serialized component we were talking about. It was, it was really, really good. Um, and, and I liked that we could go from one to the other because we weren't bogged down in uh, necessarily the seriousness. And that, that was one thing that I found in some of the other shows that got a little bit, uh, got to be a little bit of a downer, uh, uh, that, that, that was a little overwhelming for what I realized, what I really enjoy at a Star Trek very often, which is I want the intensity. I want that richness and deepness and, 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 you know, stress of how do they get out of this? And then something a little more lighthearted that's exploring characters from a different angle. Um, and Spock and Mock definitely, definitely was that. And kudos to uh, 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 both actors. You know, Spock and Dupring really, really nailed that. Uh, you know, Freaky Friday body switch there really, really well. And um, I love Doctor Mega's uh, Doctor Mega's um, uh, uh, line about medicine and this sort of what they don't understand about Vulcans and their Katras and everything else, because mm. it's canon particularly from Star Trek three, that they have Katras, that they have these souls that they can do this sort of like mind transfer. And there really isn't any science behind that. None at all. (laughs) But they're super logical, but they have spirituality. And I am so fine with that because I think it's actually really well done and very actually respectful to the fans and the viewers because they're saying, hey, we know this is part of it. And we're saying we don't understand it putting it in there, recognizing that. And that sort of frees them to explore that and do it without having to worry about either ignoring that it might not entirely make sense uh, or over over explaining it. This is that sort of happy medium, which is literally science fiction. Uh, and, I, and I think that's really a, a neat part. So it takes away that you know need to argue about it or need to you know, really scratch your head. You go, yeah, he's he he's as mystified 
as 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 we are. Um, and now we get to tell that story. I, I agree. I uh, I agree with I agree with everything you said, John, about both episodes. And I would I would say also with Memento Amore, I would I really appreciate the fact that you're exploring strange new worlds, and not everything's going to go go great. Like it's not you know we are started off the show with like it's going to be a fun romp through the universe, but they're but they're showing that there are dangers to exploring strange new worlds. Yeah, I mean, uh, going back to Memento Mori, um, now we have two alien races that are adversaries in this time period that we have not seen because if I, if I'm, and Josh, you correct me if I'm wrong, but um, the world with the Romulans, they would, they never saw each other face to face. The treaty right. was conducted over old time radio, right? As I said, in balance of terror. So, um, uh, communication radio communication. So now we have this, um, these two races and also uh, by not showing the Gorn, which was, again, that was excellent that they didn't show the, the Gorn. It, um, it's the, it, it adds that um, mystery, obviously. It's uh, almost like the uh, 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 not showing the shock in, uh, in Jaws, you know. Exactly. So, you know, I, I love that they did that. You know, less is more, especially when you're dealing with a quote-unquote monster. You want to show the monster the least amount of times. James, you, you know this being oh, yeah. a big monster fan you are. Yep. And, um, and uh, I was thinking, and uh, now I, and I don't remember who said this. It was either Josh or... or, or uh, or John, but um, yeah, we have this terrible hatred that Leon has for the Borg because she's lived through this horrible time. She lost her brother because of them, her entire family. And we all know that hatred is not, does not sit well uh, in, in Star Trek. Does it not sit well, you know, on the Enterprise, whether it be the Enterprise A, B, C, whatever, whatever Enterprise it is. So there's going to be an episode maybe along the line where there's going to be a a, a Gorn captured or a Gorn that comes in, in contact with one or two of these characters. And we're going to see a different side of the Gorn, the way we saw a different side of the, uh, the Borg with you in, um, mm. in, you know, in next generation. So uh, knowing Star Trek, you really, I mean, it's a visceral hatred that Laon has for these, for these, for this, for this species. And within the context of the episode, we understand that, but you also know that Star Trek is not about that. So, yeah, Joe, I think you're right on the money with that, uh, because that is sort of um, kind of uh, a dissonant note that that um, that full on hatred. Yeah. And, you know, we see the flashbacks and we get the backstory for, you know, exactly how terrifying her experience was. Mm-hmm. Um, so you understand it. Uh, but that said, uh, you know, you're exactly right. Uh, like, that's not Star Trek's uh, modus operandi. So no. so I think you're exactly right, because, uh, you know, one of the things that that is serialized, as we've mentioned many times, is the arc of the characters. And I wouldn't be surprised if her arc in this season um, doesn't end up uh, doing something along the lines of what you say, where she has to really confront mm-hmm. her, uh, you know, her um, her hatred for the Gorn and separate, you know, the individual from the, the entire species or the government or their their military or whatever to set aside their the differences that their their people have and work together or work to understand each other i think that that's uh, probably exactly right remember this line from star trek six kirk at the meeting at the beginning uh uh, with the brass let them die yeah i mean the klingons and then we saw how that how that was resolved at the very end of that movie where when they saved the uh the uh the klingons at camp kittimer um kirk looks into the uh, eyes of the uh the Klingon, um, I can't think of her name now. Azabor. Azabor, thank you. And he says, yes. people are afraid of change. Yeah. 
And that's so Star Trek. It's so what Star Trek is about. We, 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 you know, and, and that's what this episode was about, Mental Mars, is conquering your fears. And you do that because it, it elevates you, but it also elevates your society and the world in which you live. That's well said, Joe. Yeah, I think every character, I mean, you know, I guess, I guess even in the most recent, you know, Picard series that we talked about, like he's still confronting his anger and stuff with the Borg. Mm-hmm. So it, it's yeah. like, if you've got anger and you're a main character in a Star Trek show, eventually you are going to come have to come to terms with that you're going to make peace with that and peace with your enemy and forgive them or forgive yourself before you know Mm -hmm. your character arc is done at some point Uh, just Uh, one other note on uh the body swapping and um you know the vulcan uh mysticism john you highlighted the thing that dr mabenga (laughs) says about how you know it's really there's that that um sort of uh line with the katra where you know science stops being able to explain it and it's sort of uh you know i think he says uh does he say the word it's you know magic or you know mysticism he says he says it's no chapel uses the word magic yes right mm, yeah and you know what's so interesting about that and i want to echo your comments uh, uh because i really do love the idea that that moment really illustrates well the idea that even when you have all of this um incredible technology and you're exploring the universe and there's you know you've encountered all manner of alien life like there are still some things that you know you're not going to be able to explain you know the galaxy and existence is still full of mysteries you know i forget i forget where exactly i heard this uh, but there is a um you know, a phrase or a saying uh, that uh, when I encountered it, I knew that I would be repeating it uh, for the rest of my life is that uh, the universe is under no obligation to make sense to you, mm. right? <laughs> so, so, so I love that it's still preserving some of that um, mystery and magic of the unknown, some of the unknowable of the unknown. It's like you know, we can uh, the Vulcans are the species that we humans in star trek's future have uh, the longest relationship with and and even they have have something that we are we are just at a loss to uh, uh to explain in terms that our science understands and like uh, nurse chapel says it's at some point you know we don't really have any other word for it beyond it's it's just kind of magic and along those lines i also loved uh just really quickly uh, Pike's reaction when they Spock into Pring told him that they had body swapped. <laughs> yes. He was kind of like, he was kind of like, you're kidding me. And, 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 and it was just sort of like, yeah, the, the, I just loved the, he was just a, there was a, a just a, a touch of incredulity uh, because it is like, you know, an insane, uh, ridiculous uh, concept. But then like he had to move on because like you know i mean this is the enterprise this is and this is starfleet like you see weird stuff as uh, you know janeway said weird is part of the job and it's sort of like he just has to um he just has to accept it so he can get down to the business of figuring out what to do <laughs> it's also spock is like this is the guy who's least going to pull hijinks or something yes, like right. yeah no that was very funny that, yeah that was very funny. good stuff and josh just your point it was neil degrasse tyson who quoted that the universe oh. is under no obligations oh. makes sense to you. I would have bet it was, it was Isaac Asimov, but that's <laughs> it's possible he was quoting Asimov. But I, when I was looking it up quickly while you were uh, while we were doing it, it says Neil deGrasse Tyson. So, um, and, and I love I love Neil deGrasse Tyson. Though I do have to admit he um, 
he's become kind of a stick in the mud as of late. <laughs> he can be at times, yes. Yeah. Terrence Eisenhoff at times, Eisenhoff at times, a stick in the mud. But still That's true. Man. Uh, hey, Josh, I got something. Uh, you talk about you know the mysticism, the, the unknowable, uh, and uh, Star Trek has always embraced that. And where 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 has it been more embraced than in your favorite Star Trek movie, Voyager? Right, coming back. That, yes, yes, right? yes. So I mean, this is this is stock and trade Star Trek. This is what Star Trek is all about. It's not all about just always the science and what you can pin down and what you but you know what you can. Uh, you can explain in a lab or, or what a computer can explain to you. And sometimes it's, it's the, um, heck it's the human adventure. And with that goes all the mystery that, that goes along with that. So, and, and, and um, in the episode Spock them up, uh, there was some, I thought the, the best comedic montage was Una and Laan playing uh, Enterprise <laughs> Window. I, I thought that was hysterical. And that was great. I, 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 was hoping for more of, I was hoping for more of that, kind of comedy in an episode because I, I as you know comedy every timing is everything in comedy and their, their timing was great <laughs> so that was for some really good uh, comedic uh, acting on their part and the I, other thing about it and it was heartfelt too because i yeah I, it was really into their two characters of like mm-hmm. they don't really have that much fun and they both feel very alienated from the crew yeah. partially due to life experience partially due to responsibility and everything else and they're realizing hey the two of us can actually sort of uh you know uh, figure out what, how are these you know people having fun and breaking the rules and all that other stuff and that dovetailed with the end of the episode really well which we haven't even gotten to the, the actual dramatic point of that episode which was right. which, which, which is um you know the negotiations with mm-hmm. um with uh what's their spe- what's the species name again i, I gotta take better oh. notes for next time because i'm yeah i forgot the, uh, um yeah. i really liked um that uh, uh concept but of course there they are their final like thing and they're like well how can we break the rules we make the rules and they go out on the deck plates of the hull of the enterprise and it happens to be at the same time that the alien ship, uh, 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 you know, is flying the flag and is crossing over them. And they, they get to have this, it's this sense of signing the plate uh, and then seeing something glorious and profound, you know, Historic. which is, that's the, that's sort of the point of strange new worlds is that we, uh, we are with them for these incredible, incredible uh, uh, journeys. And, that that was just such a beautiful scene and then of course what that was all about was really really well done um i thought it was going to be in the beginning more of a next gen sort of like oh well this is just an annoying alien race we're trying to negotiate with what it turned into was brilliant the idea that they were um because they dropped the hint that oh in fact we're a very empathic species but they weren't like deanna troy empathic they were it was, it was perspective empathy. Mm-hmm. That's why they were, um, you know, one way with, with uh, the Tellarites, which I only recently had rewatched something of the Tellarites on Enterprise about, yeah, they, they, they just insult everybody. That's culturally and, and you know, how their species operates is, is that they respect the person who insults them the most. Um, and, and then they come on board and they're there. They're just really friendly uh, talking about the barbecue and, 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 you know, happy with Captain Pike, but then all of a sudden not and super logical. And I loved that he's playing on a hunch because that's supposed to be the special thing about the captain in a show like this is that they're trained really well. 
Uh, but but after, at the end of all of that, it's their experience and their gut of something where they can they can make a jump that's beyond traditional logic uh, of A to B to C. They're getting a sense of, wait, I can't put my finger on it, but there's something else happening here. And we got to take a leap uh, to make this thing work. And in this case, it was, I think I know what they're getting at. Let me try this last thing, which was to recognize their perspective and to present that back to them in a respectful way. And that clinched the deal. And they fly that Federation flag on their solar sail ship and fly it by the Enterprise in that wonderful scene. Um, I, I thought that was so, like, that That captures the what the Federation is at its best and what a Starfleet captain is at their best, is seeing, first of all, figuring out the puzzle in a way that, um, you know, needs to be done from a, from a different perspective and, and then seeing through somebody else's eyes and being like, wait, this is what you want. And then giving voice to that and saying, we recognize the threat you're under and, and the cost it would be to uh, ally with the Federation. That, that, that is not just this whole amazing thing that we're presenting to you as a great sales pitch, that there's, there, that there are real downsides and that you're entirely valid for considering those. I think that, that demonstration of respect for somebody else really gives a viewer, particularly a new viewer, like, what's the Federation about? That's ultimately what it's about. Because they, they, they earlier in the episode talked about, well, it's about uh, uh, each one of us has a vote. You all have a voice, which is very important. That last part just capstoned really what the Federation is. It's also that we try to see through each other's eyes and genuinely respect the dignity of somebody else who isn't like me. Um, mm-hmm. And they did it so well without it being, um, see, I object sometimes to the word preachy because that can be used in, in some good and bad ways. But I will say it, it's not preachy. It wasn't done in, 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 in a like, here's an essay about why you should do this. It was done in a very natural story way that makes you honestly excited to see the continuation and building of the Federation. Yeah, totally. I, I agree. I mean, Captain Captain Pike, you know, we have so many captains like to compare him to, but I think Pike was the person who could probably do that scene the best if, if it was any, you know, I don't think Kirk would have figured out like how to negotiate at that table. And it's Pike's, personality and character and what we've seen from him for so far that would make him i think the perfect choice to like catch on to and make the hunch that it's it's empathy for their position that would make them turn over to the federation or or make them whine to join the federation because they recognize our voice so yeah. i think you're, you're very spot on with that john yeah. i feel like picard might have gotten it at some point Approach. Yeah, I was just going to say, yeah, yeah. Um, I feel like Picard may have gotten there, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But but Pike got it because Pike is very close to Kirk stylistically, but he's like, he's he's what I imagine Kirk would have been if we hadn't gotten the movies. It's very much what I imagine Kirk would have been after the original series, after he was a little more seasoned as a captain. And and also you know and and uh, dealt with his own issues uh, in, in in some ways that that's the feeling I get of Pike and that's why um, in many ways it is sort of the best of all worlds here because we're getting um, we're getting a dose of that original series Kirk feel without it being Kirk and 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 without having to uh, disparage or or eliminate the importance and greatness and fun that Kirk was but we're getting a lot of that now with a different character and it's still a five year mission it's all that other. Uh, cool stuff. I just, I just really appreciated that, and I appreciate that he's that he's always. You can tell the, the gears are always going in his head. He's like, "What do I do for this? Something's about to happen." And then when Spock or 
to Pring is is about to go down one particular road. He's like, I'm going to intervene here and I might mess it up. I might not. I'm just going to try and, 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 and put my foot in it right now. And, and he does that in a way that we're going to see. I, I, I predict we'll, we'll see how it doesn't always work out for him. But I, but, but I like the fact that he, he takes those risks. And I think that's back to episode one when Spock says, you know, uh, you know, talking about his uh, you know, vision of the future and how difficult it is for him. He says, you know, you can take pain and fear and, uh, uh, and, and you know, to inform mm. yourself to that which you most fundamentally are. And he says, and, and what's that? The captain. captain, and he wasn't talking about a rank, right? right. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree with all, with that. Yeah, those are those are excellent points, John. I agree with them. I would also like to I point out in this episode, you know, aside from the negotiation, which I guess was the more dramatic part of the show, the comedic part of the um, the mind swap. What I found particularly like interesting was that you know the whole thing that you have two super logical beings. And you could see the problems they're having in the relationship, even though they're two super logical beings. And, and the fact I'm glad they, you know, the, the typical trope would be not to have told the captain or for Spock not to have told to bring what he's, his yes. fears are. And they, right. they go against it. They, he, they tell the captain, which gives that great response that you spoke about, John. And they also spoke and they also tell each like Spock's like, this is what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid that I'm not Vulcan enough for you, which mm-hmm. I which, and I loved also that, you know, Spock is oblivious that Nurse Chapel, I guess I feel like she's like, um, into him she seems like she's into into, oh, yeah. into spock yo yeah. uh, well that's a throwback to a mock time uh the original oh, episode. Yeah. that's right she makes him the soup <laughs> that's right that's right that's yeah. right yeah. uh no so, you know in memento more we get to see captain pike the warrior and the tactician but then a week later we get to see captain pike the the statesman and i guess the poker player right so uh because of his hunch so yeah this is we're seeing these facets of his character and, and um I think I think Captain Picard would have been able to broker that treaty at the table because remember what you know just remember Darmok. so that's that's why I think you know Picard. Yeah, you're correct, Joe. You're, everyone's correct. I, I should have said you know Picard probably could have figured out, but it was not. I didn't think it would be a trait that Kirk would probably easily. No, have done. I don't know if Kirk would have. <laughs> I don't know if Spock would have had to come to. I don't. I don't think either. as much as I love him, I don't think Cisco might have gotten there either. Just I, I don't think Cisco might have gotten there himself. Probably also. not. No, maybe Jane. No, maybe Jane. Weaver, no. Though one of my favorite Deep Space Nine episodes is actually uh, uh, the pilot, um, uh, the emissary, where where Cisco is the one who who figures out how to communicate with um, the wormhole aliens, the wormhole aliens right, prophets. Yeah. He's the one who um, who intuits that they uh, that they exist outside of linear time, and someone needs to explain uh, to them the relationship between cause and effect uh, you know uh, which is actually not exactly the same thing uh, because like that's more of a um like that's kind of more of a like logic problem and i think the example in this episode is actually more of an interpersonal sort of a psychological uh perspective and uh you know one thing that i did appreciate about um how pike is the one who not only makes the leap but he has the willingness to make the leap is that he's the one who's captaining a starship. He's on a five-year mission exploring strange new worlds and meeting new civilizations. And, you know, the captain of a starship has to learn how to see things from, from a point of view or a psychology that, that is alien. That is, that is other than the way a human may think about things. The other thing also having to make those um, snap decisions and 
you know, put it all on red, so to speak, is, you know, the kind of situation that a starship captain faces all the time. So, so, it, um, so it just seemed right to me that he was the one who would um, not only have the insight, but that he would, um, he would go out on a limb and he would sort of gamble the way that he gambled, you know, in a way that, that an Admiral, that Admiral April or, uh, you know, um, I mean, even a more trained diplomat who that was their profession may not um, have the, the ability or the willingness uh, to do what he did. Uh, is, uh, yeah. Flash, is, um, is Pike's, um, is Pike required reading at the Academy? <laughs> because this show, this show is making the point that he, he should be, if he's not. <laughs> Right. Think about that. I mean, yeah. no. and, and one other thing from Memento Mori, I think kind of bearing the lead here, there's a big reveal. I mean, uh, when La'an and uh, Spock mind meld, she learns his secret, the secret of the lost sister, which is the, oh, not, true. His, not only his secret, it's the secret yeah. of the Federation at this point. Yeah, so, that's true. Uh, you know, that's going to be, you know, they, they didn't put that in there as a throwaway. You, you know, they're going to come back and visit, revisit that at some point. Well, it's also interesting too because I think in Spock and Muck, I think they um, there was some reference to the 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 Discovery continuity, the Klingon War, yes. you know, which I thought was uh, I just thought I just thought was notable the um, the idea that they uh, they are referencing things that happened in Discovery. Here's a question: Has the Romulan War occurred yet? Well, yeah, the original Romulan War happened in the 22nd century. 22nd, so, right? So yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. so so um, uh, canonically, no one will see what a Romulan looks like and won't see until, that they're very similar looking to Vulcans until right. um, yes, until until Bounds of Terror. I love the way this is all fitting together. This is great. <laughs> I, I, you, you see some some. I don't want to. I was about to use a bad word here. Some people on YouTube. Uh, who are having problems with some of the oh they're rewriting continuity? No, they're not. They're they're adding to the continuity. They're they're adding to the canon. I don't think they've contradicted themselves in in, in any way, shape, or form. At least uh, spectacularly at any point here. So I I think some of the criticism is unfounded. You know how I view it? I view, I viewed from an acad like I heard an academic standpoint about history um, through the point of view of a fiction writer. I'm trying to remember the author's name, but she she was doing an interview not too long ago. She said that by and large, we know from from like our history 500 years ago, like the Elizabethan era in England, we know like maybe 10% of what happened. And, and 90% of that is in dispute because of who wrote it and counteracting uh, 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 you know, accounts of the same thing. So what we actually know is like 1% of what really happened. And that's only at the highest levels of, of, of leadership and kings and everything. So every time we learn something, we learn something new. I, I sort of look at it this way with, with Star Trek. Like we got the first run and that is sort of a, it's a future history for us because we're watching these episodes unfold almost like a documentary. Mm -hmm. And now we're getting more and it's a different author's perspective or a different writer, you know, like, you know, this is Cicero as opposed to somebody like, like it's, it's just somebody else is writing that history and we're getting more from it and more flavor and different flavor. And that's totally fine. Like this need to obsess over, oh, it was written this way in one episode 50 years ago. So that is the only word on that one thing. It's a really weird phenomenon to me that I definitely was more in tune with when I was younger. And now it's like, well, yeah, why would I be obsessed with that? I, it, it, as long as you're not being, 
as long as you're not writing poorly or or disrespectfully to the history of the continuity, right. exactly. uh, there isn't a reason to uh, to really uh, obsess over you know maybe what was intended as a throwaway line by a writer who wrote one episode for the series. Absolutely. Well, yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, headcanon uh, goes a long way. I mean, like headcanon could be a bad thing or a good thing, but in my mind, like it all makes sense to me. So, um, but Josh, I'm yeah, sorry to cut you off there. No, no, no. The the um. I mean, I mean, first off, I have uh, pretty strong feelings about uh, uh, canon, and I, I don't, I don't really see the the point of, um, you know, adhering slavishly uh, to canon just uh, to preserve the integrity of a line, uh, you know, as you said, John, that a writer probably wasn't really thinking through the implications of because he had no idea that uh, people would still be talking about this show in sixty years. Yeah. Exactly. Um, <laughs> Uh, to kind of half uh, half offer an answer to the question, uh, John, that you posed about, um, you know, why some people seem to get their undies all bunched up about such issues is because, you know, and you hinted at it, I think we all have the experience of, you know, using our fandoms, uh, you know, in this case, Star Trek, but also other nerd, nerd adjacent things. Um, you know, using those uh, communities as kind of uh, places to uh, connect with others and um, also kind of use them as safe spaces where we were allowed uh, to be ourselves and share our interests and our passions. And I think the gatekeeping aspect of that is sort of a way to separate the people who quote unquote belong there from the people who don't and you know like some some personalities who end up in those fandom spaces they they find themselves in a position you know maybe at the top of the hierarchy and one way to kind of show their their dominance is to demonstrate an encyclopedic knowledge of all of the minutiae from uh you know one line in one episode of a TV show from 50 years ago. Mm. And so when the new, the new iteration of that show or that, um, you know, that, that uh, uh, franchise introduces something that is uh, contradictory, it's doing two things. It's, it's uh, providing an opportunity uh, to demonstrate their superior knowledge. And it's also a way to show that the, the, the new blood or the new stuff is not the the genuine article, right? Uh, because they don't even know about that line from that episode. So, so it's so it's sort of a way to. I think it's a way of gatekeeping. I think it's a way of um, maintaining hierarchy when uh, you know in those fan spaces. When you know, as we all know, you know, such attitudes are selective and what they choose to cite because. Uh, there's also the um, the Idic philosophy, the infinite diversity and infinite combinations, mm-hmm. and it's really striking uh, uh, to me, anyway, how there are such a large number of Star Trek fans who, when it comes to their Star Trek and even uh, perhaps other aspects of their lives, um, they they conveniently ignore the um, the lessons that that uh, Star Trek is imbued with so often. Yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely. I mean, uh, I know that the term today is, is gatekeeping, but yeah. uh, to me, it's just snobbery. <laughs> it's right. very simple. No, yeah, well, that's another. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, gatekeeping is a 
you know, snobbery by any other name. I mean, it's yeah. just sort of like, by any other name. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yes, uh, yeah, that, that you can't be beholden to one line, as you said, uh, uh, John, uh, or one, even one episode, um, Thank God we're not beholden to when we mentioned it early on. We're not beholden to uh, turnabout intruder in any way, shape, or form, <laughs> or Spock's brain, for that matter. But uh, they happened. But uh, we'd rather forget about them. We, you know, so yeah. But imagine, imagine being beholden to every bad thing that ever happened too, and never being able to break free of it exactly. uh, because you know, like one writer. Uh, you know, it was tripping LSD in 1967. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I believe it was an LSD. I believe it was, um, uh, what is it? Um, speed. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. Okay. Or, or Spock might have said, uh, oh, no, no, it was a Kirk in Star Trek for LDS. LDS. He was, he, was, he was part of the free speech movement at Berkeley. He did too much LDS. LDS? Yeah. <laughs> My favorite Star Trek movie for, for the oh, for reasons. So good. So good. Do you guys like Italian? <laughs> yes, no, yes, no, yes. This we love day, Italian. I still remember the beer they were pitching there. It was like a Michelob. Or something, oh, yeah. and it was so yeah, obvious. I was like, "Is that product placement in Star Trek?" Yeah, and I, it really, really was. Um, but I, I completely forgive that. And that, that movie, it was good. But I, I think that the whole fandom debate is, is so much about like, are you just being respectful to material and to the point of everything? And that's something I, I wanted to talk about in this episode because it jumped out to me as something that I was beginning to see in the show and really um, is important for me at this point. So this is the beginning of uh, of Pride Month. And of course, if you're using, depending on the app you're using, you'll notice that the Paramount app logo put a rainbow on their, on their app. Yes, I saw that this morning, yesterday. That's, that's, that's cute. You know, it's, it's becoming a very, you know, mainstream thing. And so I noticed something in the Memento Mori episode, which uh, I'm not sure of yet, but it definitely looked like Chief Kyle was, you know, sort of having a moment with other that other ensign. Mm-hmm. Um, it looked, it definitely looked flirty to me. Uh, I'm I'm pretty good at picking up on those things. At least I'm good now. I never was in my in my younger years. Um, and I was like, wait a second, is, is that what I think that was? And 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 there was I don't know if you know again what we're seeing with this. There was a bit of a scene at the end of Spock Amok with Chapel. You know that maybe there's more going on there oh, yeah. um, than we think. But I, but I wanted to say something about that that sense I was getting and how they're doing the story. Is that uh, I I know from rumors of her that they're definitely going to have some LGBT storylines within the show. Um, but the way they're doing, if they're doing that with this idea of like, Oh, there was a passing glance and something happens and it's organic. That is such a great way to do things, especially now where it's very natural introduce uh, whether it's uh, uh, you know, to, uh, male or female humans who are into each other or across species, whatever storyline it ends up being, but that it just sort of happens and unfolds and the story occurs and it's done and written well. That's what I really want about it. And that's what I appreciate it because there's a really big thing about pride month that can be really strange and awkward. And it's when you start seeing the advertisements and there's a great uh, uh, comedy Instagram video that went around where it, it was of this like, 
uh, a company that makes butter or something. Somebody's making a parody, and they were like, "It starts with this, you know, with this uh, uh, comedian goes like, hi, gay. We would like you to buy our products. Do you see this? This butter now has rainbow uh, packaging. Isn't that great? And it's so cringeworthy. And that's <laughs> a lot of what happens during this month. You're like, oh, great, AT and T, like." You're all about that. Like, what is he, what do you have to do with any of this? And it gets really awkward. And that is something that can really be messed up on a show where it's just like, Hey, everybody, here's the gay. Um, aren't you, aren't you excited? There's a gay over here. And it's just, yeah. it's just cringeworthy, uncomfortable. And it really makes nobody happy. It'll, it'll obviously anger, anger, uh, the anti LGBT crowd regardless. And it's just gonna make everybody else feel really strange and what I'm hoping for out of out of this show in particular is just sort of that uh, a natural storyline that unfolds uh, and is most importantly written well. So if if characters fall for each other, it feels natural, feels plausible, even if it ends up being surprising, and that it's rewarding in the end and and likely painful based on what happens. You know. All those things, and 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 my sense from where the writers have already done over five episodes is that is that they're going to be able to do that instead of it being the more cringeworthy. And I think they got off to a good start with Discovery. Discovery itself is a show that is very uh, upfront, obvious, and I think that's why it gets accused of being uh, preachy. I, I say it's because Discovery just doesn't know itself as well and isn't written as well. Uh, mm. Because they just, you know, and, and that was certainly the problem with the first season. And it took Captain Pike coming in and, right. you know, sort of production crew to be like, what is this show really going to be about? So it had a bit of an identity crisis to begin with. And so it was always sort of like, hey, here's something. And they would put it in the spotlight and make a big point of it. And it's really appreciated. But it wasn't always the best storytelling, which I think is something that um, fans can kind of fans of all different backgrounds and beliefs can really come around and say, hey, that was a really good story. And, you know, Roddenberry was good at that. And I think the original series gets a lot of uh, a really, you know, uh, get, get, you know, gets a lot of credit for, you know, those first moments, like the first interracial kiss, um, uh, you know, things like that, which were done in stories that maybe like, how do we get this on screen? But also later on, were a little bit less cringeworthy by the time you get to the movies uh, and, and, and felt a lot more natural. And that's and that's why I really appreciate uh, out of this show that it is not it is not taking that that typical corporate Pride Month mentality of let's uh, let's put the spotlight on somebody from the LGBT community probably make them feel a little awkward and then say hey this is you know what we're sort of all about but not really uh, allowing a full story to unfold so that's uh, and, and I think that's also why the show is uh, getting such high ratings because if, if you remember in that first episode. They they when they're showing the 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 twenty first century history and they make reference very boldly to the Second American Civil War, which is a terrifying concept. Um, they're not really pulling any punches with that uh, in terms of commenting that we're at a very politically polarized state right now, and it's very very divisive, very painful to have certain dialogues. People are anti this, anti that, um, and yet the reviews for that episode came in extraordinarily high across across the viewers, um, which shows that, because you know that there were going to be a number of viewers who were profoundly uncomfortable with that scene, uh, given the footage that they pulled uh, uh, and everything else, I think, uh, because some of that was obviously real footage of what's happening right now. And, but it worked as a well-written story. So I think that meant for, even for people who feel uncomfortable with that, they said, yeah, but that was still a good 
episode that was still a good story. And that's what I'm, that's what I'm personally experiencing with Strange New Worlds is that they're writing well and in a way that's accessible, that they're going to be able to explore these issues without it being that, get you know, vulnerable to that accusation of being preachy, even if it is in reality quite preachy. Um, it's just done really well. Not only do I agree with everything I, uh, you said, and um, I also thought, uh, did I uh, did I make this up? I feel like they some reference to Nurse Chapel in Spock Amok. She she um, had a fling with a woman with a phaser fight or something like that yeah. yes right yeah. yeah so so i guess um uh, uh they're establishing that uh she's she's bisexual mm-hmm. I, got, I got that from that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, very. It was very. It was very. Just like it was just there and written. so subtle. Yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, uh, uh, to your point, uh, you know, so subtle that it that it completely slipped my mind. It didn't stand out to me at all. Uh, you know, oh, uh, uh, which I think is sort of that that uh, n- natural kind of. I don't know what other words to say, but like you know, normalization of those issues rather than, uh, like you say, John, like the calling. Uh, um, uh, putting a spotlight on it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, it, it's it's not it's it's not in a way that's doing it to pay lip service or to really exactly. right right you know, right just, yeah. Just put right, it exactly. just put it out there in a way, and that's um that's something that I think has been uh, uh, done well and not so well depending on the era of Star Trek in the past. But it was definitely part of Roddenberry's vision and 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 the concept. And just to use that, the very concept of sexuality itself was something that Roddenberry wanted to explore in more detail and couldn't, whether it was in Next Gen or the motion picture. Josh, I know you and I have had discussions about the uh, the novelization of the motion picture. It is wild. Wild. <laughs> it's, like, yeah. It's, it's like, it's yes, really, right. really, it's really it's, out there. It's yeah. Like, yeah. Like, they, they do make that reference in, in the motion picture to Deltons, who make that brief appearance oh, yeah. in Picard, you know, as a sexually advanced species, like so much more so than us that it's almost dangerous to humans. So that's why um, they have to they take, have to take the celibacy, the celibacy. <laughs> <laughs> on our ship because it's like you primitive humans can't handle this and it will just, you, you'll be a mess. Trust us. You can't handle it. Um, I, I thought that was a really interesting uh, concept that as a kid, I never under, like that was completely over my head and rewatching those movies. Yeah, no, you're, you're like, no, totally. Absolutely. And then Ilea, she, uh, she had some line uh, to Kirk or, or to someone about, you know, how, she would never um she would never take advantage of a sexually immature species <laughs> yes, 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 yes. and it's like what are you talking about like what 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 does that mean and then uh just as an aside in the you know the motion picture novelization is really interesting i think uh, you know at some point on some on some podcasts i'd love to do a whole uh, a, a deep dive into that novelization because it has uh, this whole um, really bold concept, uh, you know, this whole idea of like, you know, the new humans who um, who were sort of, it's kind of implied they're like sort of evolutionary, maybe a little uh, further along than um, the old fashioned humans that they still um, send out on uh, starships because they're, they're better suited for uh, the kinds of, uh, conflicts that may come up, uh, you know, utilizing their more um, uh, primitive emotions and reactions or uh, what have you. And there's also um, some reference, I believe uh, Kirk makes some reference to his mother's uh, love instructor. Hmm. 
<laughs> uh, which is a wild concept like that like you would have a good relationship with the uh, person who is presumably uh, teaching your mother the ways of carnal things. If he had been unshackled by the studios and the networks, like we, we can only imagine what, what we would have actually gotten uh, from that because he, despite being a product of his times and himself, somewhat of a behavioral misogynist, but, but, but wanting, wanting the ideal of equality uh, and gender equality and everything. Like, I'm really curious what we would have found um, and, and, and I hope that the, uh, in this run, we're going to get that in a way that fits. And again, I'll, I'll just go back to why it works well in Strange New Worlds, because Strange New Worlds isn't trying to go too intense. So it actually makes it more accessible to a lot of people. Um, mm. and, and I'm the first to admit that when you, when you want to bring an issue up to somebody who might be uncomfortable with it, whatever it might be, I mean, that's... The, the, the way often to do it is to introduce it with that bit of, you know, they like, you know, something that's, that's comforting, you know, uh, yeah. uh, you know, sugar to make the, me the medicine go down, something like that. Chekhov as, as a Russian on the bridge of the enterprise back then, they, they, they brought it on, brought it in, made it a little bit of comedy relief with his, uh, you know, Russian sayings, but but also the brashness of it too. So it was it was a little bit easier to handle rather than making the the dislikable guy the Russian. It was we're we're, we're going to make them uh, you know uh, uh, accessible in that way. That's what Star Trek is about the accessibility, yeah. and it's all not these characters. It's natural. Um, you know uh, when you get off that milk diet, lad. <laughs> He's drinking vodka. But uh, yeah, uh, you know there, there's uh, and and the accessibility and the naturalness of these characters. Uh, you can see it in, in these episodes, especially there's one scene, um, Memento Mori, Mori uh, we learn it's, it's, it's not shocking that Una uh, tells the doctor and orders him, not tells him, she orders him to give the other, the other crew member the last, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, pint of blood of plasma and she'll take, yeah. her, she'll, she'll take her chances with the pain. And it's just, it's, it's like that didn't shock me about her character. It's, it's, it seems natural that that would be part of her character. And the same thing with, uh, with uh, Christine Chapel. Uh, if you write these characters as real human beings, then you know, they're, 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 once in a while they're going to shock you with their actions or how, how they may react to certain situations. But uh, as a whole, we accept them for who and what they are. We don't, we, you know, we, we're, just, we're just comfortable with them. Yeah, I mean, the uniqueness of any character and that diversity element that they might be including in the character should be an element of the character, but not solely define the character. Exactly. It shouldn't be stamped mm. on their forehead or something like that. You know, like I shouldn't that, right? be here. I mean, I know in the beginning, like, Chekhov was there because he was, you know, Russian, but now we should have evolved to a point of storytelling where a character can be, you know, character can be gay or Asian or Russian or, you know, or whatever. You know, and it's like, okay, that's an aspect of them, but that's not the sole defining purpose of why they're on the show. I mean, I think right. at this point we've evolved to nuance, right. hopefully, and it's not just like you know, as John, you said, lip service to a particular community to have this this person on the show. 
Well, and Josh, I, I appreciate the I appreciate like the, the the building to talk about Star Trek the motion picture novel when we're we're still building to Star Trek the motion picture podcast. So I, I like yeah. I like the, I like the <laughs> I like the backup to uh, to when we're done with the movie, we're going to go to the novel. So I, I look forward <laughs> to that as well. Maybe uh, there might be some discussion of the novel on the episode about the movie. Who knows? Oh, I, I have no well, doubt. I have no I, doubt. I, as I read the novel many years ago. I can go back and reread it. I've seen the uh, the the extended cut, the four K cut, Josh. I have seen it. Excellent. And, and uh, do you want to want to add a little uh, enticement here, James, to that episode? To to enticement to that episode? Well, yeah. I think can, we're, can I say something that a little? Yeah. Well, I, I still don't like. Sure, but let's <laughs> take a, let's let's let's, uh, let's everyone That's stay fair. to the neutral. That's let's fair. stay to the neutral corner. I mean, but oh. you can add a little 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 thing, especially since we're about to wrap up. <laughs> it didn't do anything for me. It didn't change my mind about the film. That's it's fair. Beautiful. By the way, it's beautiful to look at. It is beautiful gorgeous. to look at. Yeah. Absolutely gorgeous. You know, we'll get to that. We'll get around to that someday. That's, a, that's okay. I mean, we had listen, We had a very civil discussion. If, if yes, we don't want to do that. We don't want to do that. And also, if, if fans have been listening to this episode, we have an upcoming thing about Young Justice, which is on our main podcast where Joe had a disagreement with Chris. And that was a very, it's a very civil and well-thought-out episode, too. So I'm looking forward to the motion picture episode, whatever our, our thoughts are. I when just we're all thought of something. We could, we could all crap on Star Trek V. Okay. We could, but... <laughs> but? Oh, come on. No, John. <laughs> no, it's, this is one of those things where it's purely for sentimental reasons. When I read that movie, I'm like, oh, God, that's really a bad movie. But when I watched it as a kid, based on whatever was happening at the time... I just enjoyed the beginning of it a whole lot. Oh, yeah, the campfire scenes and the score is incredible. Yeah, the score yeah, is yeah the score. Yeah. And then you just sort of like, you gloss over the rest and, 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 and you know. <laughs> I'm showing the campfire scenes. And what does God need with a starship? Just to like kind of wrap things up. <laughs> that's true. That's true. That That is one of the uh, the lines that 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 is... Uh, it's just incredible. So, so uh, yeah. So for that line, the campfire scenes and uh, the score, I I can't hate on Star Trek Five that much. But that said, I am willing to. <laughs> yes, yes well, that'll be another future Star Trek episode where we all universally hear, and maybe some additional people can crap on Star Trek Five together. <laughs> though I though I always say about the community we've created here in Secret Origins and and our cousin podcast Trash Compactor, it's it's we can crap on these things without tearing each other down or the thing that we're talking about down. So as much dislike as we might have for Star Trek Five, there are some good things in there, and oh, they yes. tried to perhaps do good things that just didn't get all the way to the finish line, but we can still talk, we can still crap on Star Trek five. <laughs> um, so as, as we're wrapping up this, this uh, particular week's uh, episode, um, we have the back five to go. Does anyone have any thoughts or hopes or, or anything they're hoping to see that we, that would go against what we've already said or final thoughts for this episode? I want to see more. I want to see more of, uh, 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 I guess he's the, the engineer's Lieutenant. They refer to him as Lieutenant Hammer. Hammer, yeah. So he's not a lieutenant commander. So a lieutenant and and uh, the transporter chief Kyle. I want. I'm, I'm looking forward to episodes that I hope are focusing on them because uh, you're talking about like why we like uh, these characters because they've been so smart in giving us episodes, but there's nonetheless a focus on a particular member of the crew that gives us some insight into them. And so I, I, I'm betting that we're going to get that. Uh, for for those two characters and if, and a few others as well and more with the doctor and I'm I'm really excited for that because I think there's some really cool things they can do with it and I'm totally here for it. 
Excellent. I think I want to see something that's akin to either Breads and Circuses, Piece of the Action, or uh, what's on with the Nazis? What was that episode called? Uh, Patterns of Force. Patterns of Force, thank you. Uh, you know, some type of ersatz uh, parallel world that uh, that was uh, kind of contaminated by um, previous Earth culture, something like that. I think I'd like to see something like that. Uh, yeah, I would like to just see um, some more uh, some more genre stuff. I'd like to see, um, I don't know, maybe, you know, a weird uh, a weird format episode uh, like uh, where either it's it's told from the perspective of one character or it's like told it's told uh, uh, it's a bad example, but like it's it's told backwards or something like that. I mean, I would like for oh, some... no, 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 not the backwards episode of Seinfeld, please. No, <laughs> <laughs> I hate that episode. <laughs> No, well, like I said, not not that specifically, but but okay. uh, some some kind of an off the wall, uh, yes, you know, yeah. um, uh, format. I, I yeah, I agree, and I, I kind of like that idea, Joe. I, I'm since they handled like the the body swap trope so well, I, I would be curious to see them handle a going to a civilization that's our version of the 1950s or you know Roman times, and and see if they can take that trope and and elevate it you know to to current writing standards and see how well they do with something like that so um, yeah and also hodkins, what happened to, Hod- oh sorry josh what were you gonna say no i was just gonna say hodkins hodgkins love of parallel planet development there yes you yes there you go. so i'd like to see them handle that and also uh what happened to samuel kirk i, I he just yeah, he exactly. disappeared a little bit so i'd like he's to still recovering from that uh, that shock he's still egg. knocked he's still knocked out and disappeared uh, off the off the crew for a few yeah, episodes so Oh, he's on, he's on his way to Denver by now. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so with that, um, that'll be our episode for Strange New Worlds episodes four and five. Um, I'd like to thank everyone's here. So, Joe, thank you for being here. Oh, it's always my pleasure. And it's always a pleasure to be with you guys. That's what I should really say, because this is, this is a lot of fun, guys. I look forward to it every week. Good stuff. And John? Oh, this is a blast. Looking forward to next time. And Josh? I love talking with you guys every week. It's a highlight. And I, I love talking to all of you and listening audience. I appreciate you and we appreciate you listening to this episode. Um, if you want to join in the conversation, have questions, thoughts about what we've said or the episodes themselves, we'd love to hear from you. So uh, please write your comments on the Facebook page when we make this post. If you happen to be listening to us on YouTube, we'd be really appreciative if you would um, subscribe to the channel and you could also leave your feedback underneath the video and we'd be happy to answer you directly or answer you on our next episode. And uh, if you also just want to get in touch with us directly through email, it's um, secretoriginsmc at gmail.com. And we thank you for listening, and we will talk to you on the next episode.